Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Lisa Woodley, who is the Vice President of Customer Experience and Design at Entity Data, and she'll be talking about her passion of human-centric design, so don't go away. In this week's tech news, first up is WeWork and SoftBank came to an agreement on how WeWork was going to be bailed out. So imagine a company that just two months ago was pre-valued at $47 billion, expected to IPO, and now worth about $8 billion, according to this bailout offer. In this offer, SoftBank takes control of WeWork, and Adam Newman, the CEO, is out with a $1.2 billion parachute. Now, there's going to be a lot of restructuring and a lot of layoffs, so there'll be more information on this story. Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, is testifying in front of Congress about Libra and the cryptocurrency platform that Facebook is sponsoring. Should be interesting because Zuckerberg is saying that Libra is a consortium with what used to be 27 companies, but companies like eBay and Stripe and MasterCard and Visa have all pulled out. So there's a lot of scrutiny on both Libra as a cryptocurrency platform and also Facebook as a company. Recently announced was that the CEO of SAP, Bill McTermott, had stepped down. And it was coincided with the stepping down of John Donahoe, who is the CEO of ServiceNow. John became the CEO of Nike, and it was just announced that Bill McDermott is going to be the new CEO of ServiceNow. So there's always this revolving kind of musical chairs on CEOs here in the Valley. In my last story, I'm going to talk about something that's making more news and something they'll cover in a show next week, which is how do you feel about facial scanning for job applicants? So it comes out that more and more companies are using software called HireVue to do facial scanning while you're conducting an interview over your mobile phone or over your computer. And it's supposed to give potential employers a good indication of your hireability. There's a lot of consternation around this and a lot of ethical questions around it, similar to pre-screening or pre-job reviews. I will cover this much more in future shows, and that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Lisa Woodley, who's the Vice President of Customer Experience at NTT Data. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Lisa, I wanted to get started that when people hear Vice President of Customer Experience, they're gonna most people will be drawn to customer service, which is definitely not. You're an expert in human-centric design and design thinking. So I wanted to go a little bit more into your background of what the title is and then also how you got started. Sure. So, I mean, it's funny because you're right. The title customer experience or the the word customer experience has come to mean 
a lot more than just what we would typically think of in a retail consumer setting, right, of a customer, somebody who's purchasing a product from you. For us, and really it's happening in a lot of the industry, customer does mean human. Um, we, you know, we latched onto the term customer experience because a lot of the tools and techniques that were traditionally set up for that more customer-facing kind of how do you design a customer-facing interaction, we've really started to see its application to everything. And I mean, I think design thinking is a big part of that, of taking that mindset of who is this person, what are they trying to do, and now how am I helping them do this with this product or service or, you know, thing that we're, we're designing. So it, it really is much broader. And we also use that because, you know, as you work on things like internal employee systems, so anybody who might be working on anything from, you know, onboarding systems, HR systems, IT service desk systems, we really encourage those people to think of their end users as a customer that you are servicing. And, and that's why I think it's important if you keep that word customer, you're constantly reminded it's, it's you're servicing, you're serving someone. Um, and you really need to be thinking their needs and motivations and, and taking all of that into consideration. Yeah, I think that's really deep insight. When I was at Cisco, we already used the term customers for outwardly facing customers and clients for internally facing customers. But to your point, we always saw both employee and customers as customers. And I think it becomes really important and things that we talk about throughout the show, which is why I'm so happy that you're here today, is that uh, – Large tech companies in the past, and, and you know, Apple's the best example in my mind of Steve Jobs saying, I know what the user needs, I'm going to build what the user needs. But most people aren't Steve Jobs. They don't have that gift of just knowing, and it takes a lot of trial and error. Uh, the time I spent it into it, a consumer product side, um, definitely understanding how you design for the customer on both ends. And I think that's really where um, your background, which I'll, I'll give a little bit away, yeah. You know, you started off as a non-technologist, which is very common. I know you're not in Silicon Valley, but very common in, quote, unquote, the Valley Valley tech companies. You have a yeah. double major in English and psychology with a minor in philosophy? No, you got back English okay. and philosophy with a minor in psychology. Okay. So close. <laughs> so that is, like, so far removed from what people think of a technologist. How did you get to becoming this leader in user experience and customer experience? Yeah, you know, I mean, it is sort of a long, strange path. You know, the other thing I'll throw in there is there was a there was probably a 10-year gap where I was trying to be a singer in a rock band, so there was that <laughs> part too, um, which honestly, where that comes in handy is when you're in client pitches, but that's another, that's another conversation. Um, you know, I really... Uh, I have always, for good or bad, have had this habit of pursuing things that really interest me without really thinking about what am I going to do with this. I took college and psychology was always very interesting to me. I'm always, I'm always an observer of people. I love watching people and thinking about what's motivating them and things like that. So I started out college, I was a psychology major. And then I kind of you know, took this English class that was really interesting. And I was like, oh, no, I think I want to do this. This is more interesting. Um, and then I was all the way up to my junior year, and I was toying, okay, is it going to be English or psychology that I finally major in, much to my parents' chagrin. And I took a philosophy class, an intro to philosophy class, and it absolutely changed everything for me. I had never taken a class that was more interesting to me in my entire life. 
um, all the weird things that I thought was just me pondering in my own head. It turns out there's this whole discipline around it. Um, and so I added an extra semester on and came out with this philosophy and English double major because I had waited so long to decide what I wanted to do, minor in psychology because I had already taken so many classes, <laughs> and then went in a completely opposite direction of everything, which was I had always been a self-taught designer. Um, so I designed, you know, friends band flyers and fanzines and things like that. And I actually ended up getting a job as a resume designer at a copy shop and realized I had this knack for design. So now here I was with this degree that had nothing to do with design um, in a job where all of a sudden I was starting to like really make a portfolio for myself outside of resumes. You take on other jobs and things like that. And then threading through all of this, and it's just this sort of weird thing that came together. I have been a massive science fiction fan since I read A Wrinkle in Time when I was like eight years old. Oh, that's so, so cool. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold you right there, A Wrinkle in Time, which I had to read probably around the same age, so we won't give our ages away, but we might be close. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Lisa Woodley, who is the Vice President of Customer Experience at NTT Data. And we'll be right back with more of her story and what really is her passion. If you have questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, joined with special guest Lisa Woodley, Vice President of Customer Experience at NTT Data. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you. So, Lisa, this is a burning question because I think Technology is changing rapidly, and there's a lot of implications in that. What do you think the ethical ramifications are on design when we have things like AI coming to the forefront? There's a lot of talk about, I think, ethics and AI, but I think even we need to step back a little bit and just think about ethics in terms of anything that we are designing for people. So whether that, you know, it may be artificial intelligence but it may also just simply be a gamified social media site. <laughs> For yeah. example, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons that designers and technologists have to learn from what we've seen happen just with things like social media. Because I think we, we've all seen the negative impacts of people becoming addicted to social media. And if you think about what's behind that, a lot of what's behind that is those need to gamify and make things sticky and I think even if you think about people innovating new technologies, you know, there's a lot of different directions you can go with innovating new technologies, but any of the sort of anybody trying to innovate the next cool consumer gadget that people want to be playing with, I think we really need to start thinking about the ethics even of that as we're designing it of how is this thing that we're designing going to fit into the lives of humans and how is it going to better their lives? And even when you think about AI and the ethics of AI, it's ultimately we're not designing the future for robots, we're designing the future for us. And so we really, as we're thinking about 
any sort of technology. We really have to think of who are the humans at the center of it that are going to be using it. What is the benefit to them and the impact to them? And really start with putting the human at the center of any of this innovation, or quite frankly, any, even if it's not innovative, you're just digitally transforming, putting the human at the center of it to make sure that what you're doing is ultimately both good for your business and for the humans who are going to be making your business possible. I think that's really good advice and insight. So thank you very much. I want to go back to the human-centric part of this, but I think before I do that, in our last segment, you had just started talking about how science fiction and Wrinkle on Time had influenced how you got into customer and user experience. So can we go back to that? Yeah, sure. I would say a Wrinkle in Time kicked it off um, because this sci-fi world was just amazing to me. And then the fact that like a nerd girl could save the universe was pretty cool too. Um, not that I could relate to that at all at eight years <laughs> old. Um, but it, it just started off this passion for me to understand. And I got to tell you what really, I would really say Gene Roddenberry is the reason I'm in this job that I'm in now, mm. because it prompted me, that book prompted me to start to look at other science fiction. And then I discovered, discovered Star Trek and the thing about Star Trek that I loved was it was a future where technology made us better than who we are today. And it was that idea that even then as the 80s came along and, you know, I got into movies like Terminator and all those really negative technologies is, is going to destroy us, even as far back as war games. I always hung on to this Gene Roddenberry concept that <clears throat> that technology has the potential to make us better than ourselves if we use it in the right way. And so that's where, you know, I sort of, I was a designer. Um, I had worked my way up to creative director at an adver digital advertising agency. And I kind of became dissatisfied with design to sell things to people and wanted to look at design to make people, to improve the way people live and work. So you sort of bring those two things together. I've been doing design. I have this philosophy background, so I'm always thinking about, you know, the nature of humans. I have the psychology background, so I'm always thinking about what motivates people. I've learned these design techniques of how do you get inside people's heads to design things that they're going to be interested in. And then you layer the, the, the interest in science fiction underneath of it, and then I'm like, technology is the thing that will get us there. So I'm going to design ways for people to live and work better, and technology is going to be the thing that helps them to get there. Um, and so I got to this point where where I'm at currently at NTT Data is I left the advertising agency to come here. And it's the first time I feel like in, in my career, and I've been here for 14 years now, um, all of those things that I really care about came together. The, the idea that technology can make us better than who we are, and then this idea of in order to understand how to make us better, you need to understand humans. Um, and then using design techniques to pull that all together, it really all came together in the job that I do today. That's really refreshing because I would say the last decade of Facebook and Twitter and social media, to bring it back to some of the points you'd mentioned, it is becoming a quite a frightening place because I think the average consumer doesn't know they're not aware of how manipulated they can be, and it's all based on these design elements. So, for instance, Facebook and Twitter under lots of scrutiny, 
they've announced that they're playing around with getting rid of likes. And I know it's already happening in Australia because my friends in Australia are like, how come I don't have a like button anymore? And behind that is this dopamine reaction that people get, this hit. And so that's very interesting there. And then when you're talking about gamification, even before the term gamification, which I think people need to understand, it's turning activities using technology to enhance performance in your job, enhance something that you want to do, it's gamified. But that too gets to the point of potential addiction. And I, and I, uh, you, you and I had talked off microphone, but at a company I was at before, a large consumer company with seasonality, we scale up from 1,000 to 10,000 call center agents in a year. Just to think of a retailer, a retail season, something like that. Well, the cream of the crop of those agents become the permanent employees as we scale from 1,000 to 10,000 every year, and then we add incrementally add a few. So you can imagine the human nature in trying to, quote unquote, game the system and figure out ways to increase your performance so that you get that full-time job. Yep. And you and I, when we talked offline earlier, but you know, I'll mention it here on air, the things that you can measure in gamification, the things that go on a leaderboard, those also tend not to be the metrics that are really, really important. (laughs) (laughs) They tend to be the metrics that, so if you gamify things, you end up rewarding people on the metrics that are easiest to measure and not the metrics that are the most impactful to your business. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's where we probably won't spend a lot of time on it. But I know that NTT just came out with both a study called Decoding the Human Workplace. And I think what's important there is, and I recently talked about how they now use facial recognition for some job applicants that are to pre-screen you when you apply. Think about how people will try to figure a way around that. And also another study by Chris Fitzgerald, the chief technology officer of NTT Data, on the delicate balance between securing data and providing a positive technology experience, which I know you and I will touch on later in the show. Yeah, it, um, so, so just, you know, the study, what we wanted to do was understand, so for IT executives out there, and we focused on digital workplace transformation, because that's a big area for us. We help a lot of our clients with that. And often, you know, it's the office of the CIO doing the digital workplace transformation. And we asked ourselves the question of, of are these are these IT executives as they're undergoing digital transformation, are they thinking about the employee experience? How are they thinking about the employee experience? Is it driving their strategy or is it an afterthought or are they not even thinking of it at all? And then we also wanted to understand of those executives who were putting that sort of idea of the employee experience at the forefront of how they were going to undergo technology, digital transformation, were they more successful than their counterparts who who were not doing that? Um, And, you know, there's some really interesting things that come out. So Lisa, I want to talk more about the topics you're bringing up from the study you authored on decoding the human workplace. So we'll do that in the next segment. If you have any questions or comments about what Lisa and I are talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back and let you know how to get the study. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. 
That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Once again, on today's show, I have Lisa Woodley, who's the Vice President of Customer Experience and Design at NTT Data. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk about virtual private networks or VPNs. And the message is, don't get a false sense of security just because you run one that you're completely safe. And why I say that is that there are two stories this week. One is NordVPN, a popular consumer brand. They announced that they had a misconfiguration that, in essence, led to a compromise. And if a hacker had gotten access during this compromise, they'd be able to access all of the data on this particular segment of the VPN. More alarming is Avast, a very popular Czech cybersecurity company that you probably don't know and you use for your antivirus. They have a product called CC Cleaner, and that has been breached not once, but twice. And Avast has said that a cyber group that's called Abyss, A-B-I-S-S, tried to hack over several months their VPN profile and if they had gotten all the way through, could have taken a lot of data as well. So the message here is, although you run a VPN, don't get overly confident in that because it can still be hacked. And if it's hacked, it can still expose what you're doing online. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Lisa Woodley, who's the Vice President of Customer Experience at NTT Data. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you. So at the end of our last segment, we were just getting into a study you authored called Decoding the Modern Workplace for NTT Data. And we were about to talk about some of the key findings in that. Let's start talking about what you uncovered. Um, so, you know, so as I mentioned, we really wanted to understand you know, what, where IT executives were placing humans as in, in order of priorities of when they were thinking of how they were going to digitally transform. We looked kind of specifically at the end user services side of it. So the, the digital to- the tools, digital or not, that employees are using and, and this drive to digitize and modernize and innovate even on how employees are working. And, uh, we, you know, we found some interesting things when we asked questions around whether or not they were even considering it, you know, so, so we, we would ask, we asked some questions around, you know, what are some of the primary drivers when you're thinking of the digital transformation roadmap that you're about to embark on? Are you, is employee experience sort of the main driving factor? Is it a consideration? Is it something you don't care about? You know, cause you still have people out there saying, well, you know, I need the least expensive solution and their employees, they're going to use it no matter what. And we really wanted to understand how IT executives were thinking about this, and then look at that group that was sort of really doing human-centric digital transformation and look at whether or not they were seeing any different results than, than organizations who were just doing it the old school way, which is this is the technology roadmap, and we'll think about the people when we do change management and training. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, I mean, we found some, some interesting things. So we did, we sort of noticed three segments and we were calling them experience laggards, which are the ones that are really just not thinking about it at all. They're like, they're primarily cost driven. Um, And then there was, you know, experience aware, which is, it was in a piece of their strategy. They were like, okay, we do need to consider the humans that are using this technology, but, but it's not going to be the driving factor. 
And then there was about a third, well, a third of the respondents that we were, we were calling experienced leaders who really were starting with that premise of, I need to transform the experience for our employees and technology is going to be the way to do it. And letting that drive what the strategy was. And what we found with that group that was driving the strategy, so they were, they were doing research, they, were, they had personas for their employees, they were conducting focus groups and pilots and everything. Some really compelling results in terms of they found that, so we, there were things we knew they would find. And, and they did, that they were uh, higher retention, mm-hmm. there was higher pro- productivity, but we also found that there was, uh, I believe it was about 70% felt that they had a more innovative culture as a result of doing this. That oh. was the one that interested me the most. No, that's a really good finding. It's, it's excellent, because what it says is if you put your employees first in the sense of as you're digitally transforming the tools that they're using to do their work, if you really take the time to understand their needs and understand how they work and how your tools can facilitate that work, you're actually giving them the time to innovate. Because a lot of times the innovative culture or a lack of innovative culture is because people are so bogged down with other things, they don't have time to innovate. They're, they're too busy just trying to get their job done. You know? And then when it's like they're too busy trying to enter their timesheet, it's like that's not a good reason. <laughs> for them to not be innovating. And so, yeah, a a really awesome finding that employers who are really thinking about how can I provide my employees with these digital tools that will help them in a way that is meaningful to them actually allows and enables their employees to be more innovative, more agile, um, and, you know, able to, to start to bring all the new ideas. There's not a single client that I talk to that isn't interested in their employees becoming more innovative. And I think that that's a good message, and that can become part of the competitive difference between company A and company B. I mean, bring that back to kind of the stories we've talked about earlier in the show where there are companies now using facial recognition to pre-screen job applicants. And I know uh, one of your competitors has been using their AI engine to do pre-screening of employee annual reviews. So... As an employee listening to all of this, the good and the dark, right? I mean, you're a sci-fi, so the light side and the dark side. <laughs> how do you help companies rationalize and keep a consistent message of how they're using technology to better the employee experience? So, you know, so let's take the facial recognition, the, the not facial recognition, but that facial scanning AI to assess employees or to assess potential hires. You know, somebody probably did do some sort of a future state. Here's what the hiring process might look like, um, where they, they automate that piece of it. They automate the piece that maybe in the past had been the gut reaction of the interviewer or, or what have you. And, and But it was really one-sided. It really probably was not from the how is the person being interviewed? How do they feel about what is happening? How do they feel about this being the interview process? How do your employees feel about you automating that piece, that piece that is highly emotional? I mean, this is really where the psychology comes in. It, it's, it's highly emotional in terms of we would like to think when we, work, when we come to work, what we're bringing is more than the sum of the parts, right? We're, we're bringing, if your employees are motivated and they're doing a great job, then these bits and pieces of what they do, that's not the whole story. 
And so you're sort of automating a piece of it that really should, in my opinion, and this you know, could be controversial, I don't know, but really there should be a human more of, we shouldn't be automating some of the more human sides of things like this. If for no other reason, it might make your hiring process a lot more efficient, but it may also make that very first important step of an employee's experience less positive because now they feel like you're watching me, you're digitizing me, you're, you're boiling me down to these just components and these pieces that you're going to measure, and there's nobody thinking about me as a whole. And so it's not to say you should never implement new technology for hiring. There may be some benefits to it. It's that you have to really think of the whole list, the employee's experience as they're going through that, the new hire's experience as they're going through that. And I'd be very curious, too, as they, you know, and this is one of those things that's going to take a longitudinal study to, <laughs> <laughs> to really see the results, because I'd be really curious to see the outcomes over, not, not the short term, because maybe you did get a good person because the computer said that was a good person, but the longer term outcomes of, do you get a inspired, um, loyal employee who feels like they are valued? Uh, you know, there's just a lot of things that you, I think you start to put at risk if you try to over-automate some of those processes like the hiring process. So um, how have some of your personal clients been able to take your team's research and learnings and apply it in a productive and positive way? Oh, I mean, it, it's it's a lot of different ways, but I can say, so particularly speaking, going back to end user services, um, so internal IT, where the internal IT's job is to make sure from the day an employee gets hired, um, their laptop is ordered, they've got all of their credentials, you know, all of that stuff to, you know, the day-to-day -day life of an employee of, of help desk tickets and all of that. Um, that is such a, that is such an area of impact for our clients for cost and productivity and all of those things we talked about, right? So all of our clients are kind of looking at that. How do we make that experience better? Um, and we really come in and apply those design thinking, empathy, external, outside in facing methods to help them understand that current state customer experience, I say customer, their employees, right? What's happening right now? Do you know all of the friction points? So a lot of times we'll talk to them and say, well, do you know the friction points? Oh, yeah, I know them because I know who's calling the help desk. Yep. Well, how many of us call the help desk when we have a problem versus Googling to find the answer, right? So it's like you don't know what all the problems are because they may not always be calling the help desk. So we're coming in and helping them. And we're also using collaborative design sessions to design that future state. And collaborative means we're bringing employees and IT service providers within, you know, the IT services together at the table and are co-designing some future state services. So one example that we came up with that we were just amazed with a, with a manufacturing client was that they decided they wanted to set up a tech bar, which was great. Yep. We actually set up a tech vending machine for them. <laughs> right. And they, you know, cause you see them in the mall, right? Yep. Or in, in yep. that, not in the mall in the airports. Right. And so you, oops, I forgot my power cord. I'm going to go to the vending machine and get it. But what we found was an employee would come in, they forgot their headphones, they forgot their power cord, what have you. The process that they had to go through to get another power cord was ridiculous. And they were not productive for at least two or three hours while it was going through all the approvals. And then somebody had to actually bring the thing to their desk or wherever they were. And when we first proposed the idea of a tech vending machine, they're like, well, wow, that sounds expensive. 
it turned out it was cheaper. Hey, Lisa, we're going to finish up the tech vending machine story in the next segment and right before the pivot. So don't go away listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Q, special guest Lisa Woodley, Vice President of NTT Data. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest today is Lisa Woodley, who is the Vice President of Customer Experience at NTT Data. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you. And just as we ended the last segment, we were talking about tech vending machines for one of your clients. And I wanted to finish that story before we get into the pivot. So why don't we talk about the key learnings from that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's really the takeaway is really it was really simple, which is we came up with an idea that seemed preposterous, right? To get just give away free tech to your employees, they just go to a vending machine. We found that it actually was saving money, and the only way we were able to do that is because we bothered to do the research to to go sit with the employees and watch what they were doing and really understand the day in their life and the impact that those things were having. So, really, because we took that employee centric employee centric approach and really took the time to understand them, this idea that came out that ended up being very successful would have never happened otherwise. That's really rewarding experience for you and the team. So in mm-hmm. switching to the pivot, we wanted to talk about the 180 view. So all this human-centric design, which is really important for employee retention, customer engagement, there is a dark side to this. And I wanted you to talk about the other side as well. Yeah, I mean, you have to think, you know, the one thing that we always say is, you know, you have to be pragmatic about this. So while our goal is to design these, you know, perfect, seamless, human-centric experiences that is delivering all the hopes and dreams of your employees, there are security and privacy facts that we have to, to take into consideration and have to build that into the experience. And it's two sides of it, right? One is we can't make the experience so seamless that we forget about security, Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, right? So we can't, it would be great if they never even had to sign into anything, right? Then they'd never forget their password. That's not realistic. So we have to, but we have to very carefully think as we're thinking of what are the security parameters that are going to have to be in place for these solutions. We have to still think of those in context of the experience, so, so we can't design an experience without security, but we can't design security without thinking about the experience. Because in particular with employee systems, if your security parameters, which are designed to protect you and your employee, and they're fully aware of it, even your most fully aware employees will circumvent your security procedures if they feel they need to to get their job done. Uh, guilty as charged. That's what yeah. I was doing way before more regulations came down to avoid companies from doing that. And here's an example. Yeah, go ahead. I'm at a technology conference today. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people I've seen passing flash drives around. (laughs) I'm just like, wow. Yeah, and and the the draconian (laughs) way to do that is uh, the the bank where I was leading technology risk, we locked down. So what we did is we locked down the machine so that if you put 
a USB drive into it. You could use it, but we encrypt it only to become a company asset. So we once had uh, a junior employee who, new to the job, put their family photos, they ran out of space in their cloud space, and they put the drive thinking they could download it onto the work machine and get it later. Well, the drive got encrypted. So yeah, they could download the photos onto the machine, but how did they get it back? And so it took a, it took a lot of effort from IT to give them the exception, because banks have to follow exceptions, to allow them to retrieve their photos and then tell them nicely or sternly, actually, you should not do that again. And also back to the time we were talking about tech bars, clients you set up, our tech bar, we actually made it where uh, self-service, you could actually get a user password reset through text message, which today would be a no-no, but 10 years ago, right. it was it was innovative. Right. Well, that's you know that's the other important thing to note is is both that the technology is not the only thing evolving, and so you you can't do a day in the life of your employee and then you know two years later think it's going to be the same, right? There's five generations in the workforce now. Gen Z is here. Gen uh, you know millennials are now executives in decision making. That uh, you know so so it's you you have to constantly be evolving it not just from the technology side of it but from the experience side. And that's where I think uh, another study that just came out with Chris Fitzgerald, the CTO of NTT Data, on the delicate balance between securing data and providing a positive technology experience. I believe you're a contributor. I think that is a really good article that people can download to really explain this point you're making that human-centric design has to have a balance. Yeah, absolutely. So that's on Forbes, um, that Chris's article, and he collaborated with myself and Sushila Nair is my colleague who's, who heads our security practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's Sushila and I have been having so many conversations over, over dinner, at work, whatever, really talking about how we bring this together and taking it obviously to the next step of figuring out how do we build this how I build what she does into what I bring to our clients, how she builds what I do into what she brings to her clients. And yeah, that article really talks about how we think about that balance and how those two, you know, because in any other organization, most other organizations, your CX lead and your security lead probably know who each other are, but they're probably not having regular conversations about what are we doing together to make this better. Well, I'm going to have to have areas we're really focused on. I'm going to have to have you. So Sheila's going to be a guest on my show in the near future. I'm going to have to have you and Sheila and Chris on at the same time to talk about your collaboration together. Because once again, we're out of time. So Lisa, I really appreciated you being on the show today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And enjoy the rest of your Gartner conference. Uh, I hope to hear more from you soon. You're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider. Any questions or comments about what Lisa and I talked about today, email us at info at svn.biz or download the podcast at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.